Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is David Wazalewski. David is the managing partner at one of Seattle's favorite restaurants, Din Tai Fung. David was granted the first non-family operated franchise by the company and has opened four Washington locations and one Oregon location over the last 10 years. David holds his MBA, has been a Puget Sound Business Journal 40 Under 40 honoree and an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year recipient. He's also been a member of YPO, the Young Presidents Organization, for the past seven years and is currently finishing up a Harvard Business School executive program, which I think is like nine years, something crazy and very impressive. So welcome, David. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to see you. What a treat. Um, so we're going to start with rapid fire. Speaking of treats, are we steamed or fried dumpling fan? Steam. It's healthier. Steamed. I noticed. Oh, gosh. Are we talking health? Because like you, D DTF is my guilty pleasure. <laughs> I need you to tell me what to order if I'm trying to be healthy because I love, love Dean Tai Fung. Like thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You should come over and we'll have lunch together. I would love that. Yeah. Um, what's your all-time favorite movie? Oh, geez. I, I tell you, um, Top Gun comes into mind. That was the first movie that I watched in the U.S., Oh, well, so I that, know that's, exactly that's always what time period that, we're at. Yeah, that, so that tells you back in the late 80s, early 90s, that time period. That was such a good movie. I watched, that's one of yeah. the movies I've seen over and over yeah. and over again. Not only yeah. was that a good movie, but it was my first movie in the U.S. theater. So that was, it was a memorable one. An experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear about uh, your transition coming here to the U.S., so we'll get sure. into it. What word would your YPO forum use to describe you? Probably calm. Calm. Wait, everybody needs a calm member of the forum, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not the I'm not the crazy one. Uh, we got a few of those. Um, I'm probably the even keel, calm one. Even keeled and calm. Is there a habit that you're currently trying to create? Um, I'm trying to learn how to meditate. Oh, me too. Yeah. I'm doing a um a thirty day calm app. Okay. Uh, application around meditating and I find it so powerful when I do it but really difficult to discipline myself to do it right so I started doing yoga mm. uh, mainly because with COVID for the longest time we couldn't go into the gyms and I, I can't go to Bellevue Club to swim so I started doing yoga at home and part of yoga is meditation right mm -hmm. um, but I'm one of those guys that just use yoga for the exercise aspect of it, but not the yes. mental aspect. So whenever it's time to meditate or just lay there and do nothing, I that's when I shut off and get up and, and, and move on to the next thing. So I'm trying to learn 
and uh, uh, benefit from the the meditation power. The stillness of it is important. That's when this sometimes very tough. the yeah. best ideas come. Yeah. 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 What what personal characteristic has helped you lead your team during this pandemic? I like to think that one of my biggest assets is just the ability to handle pressure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not that I know anything and not that I know all the answers, but I think I stay pretty calm and try my best to just fight through it. And uh, knowing that, uh, um, you know, I give the best possible chance to myself, to my team, um, and, and, you know, hopefully being a good leader and lead everyone through this crisis that we're in. Yeah. If there was a book that was written about you and your life, what would it be called? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a tough one, right? That I hope is, no one ever asks me that. I'm that like, is I a tough no one. I, I'm, I'm going to have to think about that and get back to you. And I, <laughs> that, that, uh, that's a tough one. Um, that's a really know, tough one. I tell you, though, I don't, I don't think my, my life story is all that interesting, to be honest. I think It I'm, is. You I, just don't well, see it that way. Most people don't know, see their own life story as interesting. Perhaps. perhaps but I think, I think I'm just a normal guy. Um, I work really hard. I got really lucky. And I think if you combine that, um, plus a little bit of um, uh, guidance from people around you, um, you know, you, you have a chance to be successful. And I think yeah. that's, that's really uh, me in, the, in a nutshell for the last 10 years. So should we call it the normal guy? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Just a normal guy? Just a normal guy. <laughs> Just a normal guy. What is something that people would be surprised to learn about you? I'm in the restaurant industry, but I don't cook. I don't mm. know how to cook very well. So, uh, like at all? Have, well, that's good because you can well, just order uh, in. Basic stuff I can do, but certainly not any uh, chef, restaurant chef level. Uh, yeah. People always find that uh, funny that yeah. I'm in the restaurant industry and, and I don't really know how to cook. Are people you a food? Me, would you call yourself a foodie? Are you absolutely, passionate about food? Absolutely. Yeah. I love all to right. go eat. All you need stuff. to know is how to eat, right? There you you go. don't need to know yeah. how to cook. So whenever I travel, I think, I think, uh, food is definitely, you know, we build our schedule around restaurants we want to go. Right. Yeah. So definitely yeah. a foodie and, and, uh, love my industry. Um, but it's, it's, very a, it's a tough industry and you're, we're going to get into that. Tell me about you. You were born where? Taipei, Taiwan. Okay. Yeah. I was supposed to be in Taipei, um, when the pandemic hit. It's the safest place in the world. That was actually where right we were now. supposed to go for my forum in oh. EO because Andy Liu is in my forum yeah. and he's, yeah. so we had this whole great trip planned and they had it so well contained because everywhere they went, they did what we're doing now, which yep. is taking the temperature and yeah. masks. But when we, that was so foreign, you know, to me in late February, early March right. um, or mid-March, I guess is when we made the decision not to go um, half of us. And it just felt overwhelming. And yeah. yeah, it's the safest yeah. place. So yeah. that's where you're from. And then that's when did you move to the U.S. and what brought you here? When I was, I want to say 12 or 13, mm-hmm. um, my mom, single mom, my sister and I, the three of us came to the States. And it's really one of those, uh, the American dream story, right? She, she wanted better our lives uh, by sacrificing her own and left a country where her family and friends were and came to a place where... Um, we didn't really know anyone. Um, and uh, um, not only did I not speak English, uh, my mom's English was not that great. And, mm-hmm. But she just knew in, deep down in her heart that this is the right move for me and my sister. And how did she um, pick Seattle? So believe it or not, um, she went to a fortune teller. 
Oh, I love this. And I love that. He, That's the best. She gave him uh, five or six cities. So, you know, New York, LA, San Francisco, the, you know, the usual ones, right? I'm surprised then, Seattle was on there in the midst of that because at that time it was a town. <laughs> yeah, but the guy said you should go to the most northwestern part of U.S. as possible. So there you go. Seattle was the one. And, and so there, so she was a single mom. Is your dad in in the picture or my, no? No, uh, my my biological father, my mom uh, divorced when I was oh, three. So mm-hmm. it's been that long. And uh, we, we kept in touch at the beginning for the first few years, but um, really hasn't been the case in the last couple of decades, and especially since we live in Seattle now. So mm-hmm. there's, there's no, uh, we're not in contact anymore. So our family really is just me, my mom and my sister. And, and because of that background and moving to, the, to, to a new, new country um, and learning everything uh, together, and I was the baby in the group, so... Um, a lot of times my mom and my sister will shield me from a lot of the problems that they went through and, and just want to make sure that I, I don't worry too much. And I was way too young to understand any of that. And, um, but yeah, but I think that's what kept us so tight even to today where, um, the three of us are, are, are very, very tight. My sister and I have a great, uh, sibling relationship. Um, and, and I respect, uh, both of them uh, tremendously. My mom, in particular, you know, I wouldn't be here without her. Um, it's not just her bringing to Seattle, but just the overall kind of the the guidance she's always given me throughout life mm-hmm. and and entrepreneurship and 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 everything about me. Um, anything good, I think, came out of her for sure. <laughs> yeah. And what was her messaging when you were little? Like, was it here? Was it very clear to you what she valued? You know, it it wasn't. You know, I think as a twelve or thirteen year old, to to, to tell you the truth, it was a struggle for me, right? Maybe. You know, you, yeah, it, was, it was fifth or sixth grade. Um, as a boy, you know, you're a lot of energy. You're out there playing with your friends, and all of a sudden, I got moved to a city. And I had no friends and yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't make friends because I didn't speak English. And so for the first year, year and a half, not only was it a struggle for me, but I didn't, I, I was probably pretty mean to my mom, my sister, uh, from the perspective of just like, why'd you move me here? Oh, I'm I sure you had back. a lot of resentment and anger. Yeah, That's totally yeah. so, normal. So, um, but uh, things got better after a couple of years and, mm-hmm. and uh, started playing um, more basketball with the neighborhood guys and, and got comfortable a little bit more. And, and obviously now I'm forever grateful for her decision yeah. to move me here. But How was yeah. the lifestyle different? Like paint me a picture of your lifestyle in Taipei, even just the economic opportunity yeah, there versus yeah. here because you hear a lot of these stories of like oh we were living like you know this kind of lavish lifestyle there yeah. and we came here yeah. and it was different. I, I, I wouldn't say we were the top top one percent back in Taiwan but we were living very comfortably we had a maid driver and all that stuff um, but coming here and my mom essentially stopped working um, you know we, we had to we had a uh, face the reality of just being able to manage our finances as a family. Um, so I would say we were probably middle class growing up. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, grew up down in federal way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back then it was a small town. Now it's a city. Um, and, um, just very normal life, right? Yeah. Um, you know, as a kid, um, you, you know, you hang out with the neighborhood guys, you play a lot of basketball, um, went through the school system and, Growing up in Seattle, UW was the was the school, right? So yeah. 
That's so where I, I went to. Go yeah, dogs. I, I want to be a Husky yeah. and, and literally I only applied for UW. I didn't yeah. apply any other school. And looking back, that was probably uh, not the smartest move because I didn't have a backup option. Right. I only applied UW. Well, but, you got in. So well, it was, it was a, also easier was. to get in back then, right? Yeah, it was. Back are then, you kidding? Of yeah, course. Back then, uh, they took everybody, and, and yes. now, now it's a little bit harder for sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah. How, but, how is being um, from Taiwan, as far as the culture, how has your family been able to keep it alive, and what aspects of the culture resonate the most for you? So I, I think the language for sure, I was able to maintain due to the fact that I speak to my mom in Chinese mm -hmm. and the fact that I love the food. And, and so from that perspective, I think I kept the culture pretty well. But um, living in the U.S. and growing up in the U.S. and being uh, U.S. school educated, um, it certainly um, broadened my horizon. And, and, and uh, I kind of look at things from both perspectives. And it really allowed me to give me more of an international look. Uh, outlook on, on various things and so people here when they talk about particularly China or Taiwan or Hong Kong I think I just have a leg up when talking to the average person just oh absolutely I, I grew up from that region um, and and uh, still have some friends over there that, that gives me some good insight mm -hmm. as to what's happening down there so um, yeah I, I think uh, it, it made me a, a more competitive person compared to, to the average person who's never left Seattle. Um, you know, the world is so small now, right, with Google and everything, but I actually lived through it, right? So so I think that gives me a pretty good perspective. And and growing up, you know, for a period of time when I didn't speak English and, you know, kids can be mean. And I yeah, got picked I can't a little even bit. imagine, especially at that exact age. Yeah, That's yeah. the most vulnerable. Yeah, I got picked up, picked on a little bit. And, you know, so so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, sympathetic right for for people um and a lot more aware of my actions and how it translates into the other side and how the mm -hmm. people on the other side receives whatever it is that i say or do so i'm trying yeah. to be more mindful about other people's feelings because i what i went through so well i'm sure it makes you an, an incredible friend a great leader yeah. you know a great yeah. contributor to the to the community all of it so you, when you went to uw you studied economics. Correct. That was great insight. I, I mean, people choose all sorts of things. I was a sociology major. <laughs> Studying economics, like you can kind of go on to do lots of different things, but you went right after school. Is this right to go work at Intel or did you get an MBA first? So after UW, I actually spent five years as a stockbroker. And I oh, worked, yeah, I, I worked, didn't, I, I yeah, didn't even know that. That wasn't, part. that wasn't in my intro, I guess. Um, oh, I worked oh. for, uh, back then it was called Payne Weber. Now mm -hmm. it's UBS Payne Weber. Oh yeah. They were a client of mine. I've been recruiting for 26 years. Oh so really? Yeah. I recruited for Payne Weber. Yes. Yeah. So I worked for them for two, three years and then, um, um, got an offer from across the street, um, at a firm called, uh, Oppenheimer. Yeah. Also another client. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So literally was across the street on Fifth Avenue. We uh, moved our books over uh, and did that for a couple more years. And while yeah. that five year time frame, uh, the latter part of the, the five years, I went to uh, Seattle U and got my MBA. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There so, was a whole little chunk of your life that yeah, just kind of tossed yeah, out. Yeah. So, so after my MBA, and I had to make a decision, say, do I do something with my MBA, or do I continue this track of, yeah. of financial advisor, um, stockbroker, which um, an MBA did help, but not necessarily. Yeah. Like well, you needed your seven person. and sixty-three, right, but yeah, not which, necessarily. Which, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, I decided to. Um, change career and that's when I got into Intel mm -hmm. and timing couldn't have been better because literally the minute I got into Intel that was when the market started to crash mm. so yeah, I, being I, a stockbroker at that time yeah so be. so yeah it's very and then it's a lot of people that I used to work with at at the at the at the brokerage firm um ended up quitting and and mm -hmm. they, you know they just didn't have any book anymore so yeah um, so when I, you targeted technology was that specifically like i want to work for intel or where else did you interview no i i knew i want to get into tech because that was sort of the thing right and mm -hmm. still is right but certainly back then it was the thing and uh, my sister worked at intel mm. and she had a job offer from a different group that she declined and the hiring manager asked her, hey, if you know anybody, please let me know. Oh, so she goes, perfect. matter in fact, my brother just graduated and he has similar skill sets yeah. and can speak Chinese. And they were looking for someone to help deploy software in, in Asia, particularly oh, perfect. China. So they flew me down to the Bay Area and I interviewed and got the offer and off I went. That's great. And so yeah. that job took you kind of all over Asia. Yeah, yeah, it was. I was a marketing manager, um, global marketing manager, with a focus in Asia, and then I travel around the world. And you wow. know, I, I'm very thankful for that job for Intel. For, you know, I I was with them for almost ten years. Very yeah. thankful. I think a lot of what I do today, I contribute to 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 that job because I. Yeah. Learned. How was the culture there at Intel, and what what things did you take from that experience to say? So, you know, big, they're transferable big, across any yeah. industry. So big firm, right? Big, mm -hmm. big company. And certainly back then, you're looking at probably 20, 15, 20 years ago, it was definitely one of the bigger companies that yeah. people wanted to work for. Yeah. Um, you know, it's lost a little steam recently because of the Facebook and the Google. And so it's not as sexy, but back then certainly was one of the big firms uh, yes. in the Bay Area. So very big firm and structure. Um, very, uh, um, I learned a lot about um, dealing with people, dealing with people from different culture, which is it's a, such an international business. And we had teams all over the world. We had customers all over the world and I travel mm -hmm. all over the world. So again, I think just, it just continued to build my awareness of people from different backgrounds and how mm -hmm. people like to be treated, how I like to be treated and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I was in the sales and marketing department, and uh, so it, it was a great, great learning opportunity for me. Yeah. Um, and when you were working there and traveling to Asia, is that where you first got exposed to Din Tai Fung? Yeah. So, you know, uh, Din Tai Fung is just like Starbucks for people in Seattle. Like, okay. if you grew up in Seattle, you know about Starbucks. It just was that popular in Taiwan. So coming out from Taiwan, certainly knew the brand, but... Uh, during my travel was when I started getting re uh, exposed to it. So every city in Asia that I would go to, I would look up in Typhoon and say, hey, is there one? If so, I, I got to make a trip. 
And uh, it's like um, people going to In and Out Burger when exactly. they exactly that, that you know that's how I explain to people in terms. Oh really? I was just thinking yeah. it because I'm like my kids when we go to California. Oh, it's, like, it's, can we go uh, to In and Out? We need to know, buy an In and Out. Uh, maybe that's your next move. Get one of I, those. Yeah, too. I wish. Um, but I, I, I people ask me what is so special about the Typhoon, and I tell them I said it just has that cult like following. It's an just experience. Like it's also an experience, though. In and Out's not In and Out's, I guess, an experience. But when I think of DTF, I think of sure. an experience from watching them make the dumplings yeah. to waiting in line because it's always yeah. a packed. But to you know, not not too many brands, not not too many restaurant brands out there where I can see people, you know, look up the locations and if they happen to yeah. be, you know, in that same city, they'll drive, you know. Yeah. Half an hour, an hour, to go whatever. Find the place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I'm very. Um, lucky and proud to be part of the brand yeah and, tell uh, me about the family because I, I as i said in your intro you're the only the first one yeah, yeah um, it, was, uh, it sounds like maybe the only one to buy the franchise incredibly um honorable people incredibly um down to earth um mm -hmm. all they care about is to preserve what their father built and make sure they don't ruin the brand and the integrity smoke. of yeah, the product exactly. yeah yeah so great people and it it took me three and a half years to convince them to let me uh, be their partner here in Seattle uh, while I was I was working at Intel in the Bay Area um, there was one summer so it was the third summer of that three-year period where I literally would fly down every weekend from from Bay Area to LA um, I did that for probably nine or ten trips so one whole summer every weekend I would go down there and work and I'll, I'll cut out, work a little early around noon on Friday. I'll mm -hmm. fly down to LA. I check in the hotel and I, I report to the restaurant by four. That's the PM shift start time. I work a Friday night. I work a Saturday double. I work a Sunday morning. And then I'm back at the uh, Bay Area flight, 530, back in the Bay Area and get ready for my Monday through Friday at Intel. And I did that for the whole summer. And finally, the family said, you know, we need to have a family meeting because I need to tell this kid you know, if I should just let him do it or not, because I can't keep having him come to LA every weekend and I'm not paying the guy and I'm, he just keeps- That's incredible. Up. How did you have such a vision and conviction that I, this was I, the right move for your you life? Know, I, I, I think I, I will say a couple of things. Number one, I think I learned the power of branding, marketing through my Intel experience and, you know, not too many powerful brands like that coming out of Asia. I think particularly Taiwan and China at the time were great at manufacturing for other brands, but never really a brand of their own. Then mm, Taiwan was one where I saw, okay, wow, it, it, this one has legs. I think, uh, um, you know, that's when, uh, 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 that was the beginning of a lot of these Asian concepts started coming mm -hmm. out. Starting to come. Right. And how did you know that it would translate and also, who were your first customers as far as their um, profile? So like I, I knew that if I get the opportunity to run a Din Tai Fung in Seattle, I would do it in a way that um, we would capture businesses from all, um, all people, right? Not just the Chinese. So started with picking the right location. And I mm -hmm. said to myself, if I'm walking around town, I said, okay, well, where is Cheesecake located? Where is P.F. Chang located? And, if, and those are the bigger uh, national brands. But then if you look at the bigger local brands like Daniel's, 
okay, where are they located? Oh, okay, downtown Bellevue, Bellevue yeah. Square. So that's where I need to be, be with the big boys. So, yeah. so that was sort of the vision. And then, um, and, and we were the first in Typhoon with a full bar menu. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was also an important aspect of our success. Um, I think that uh, we have to translate it so that it's not just a uh, come in and get some great dumplings, but it's a dining experience, right? So mm-hmm. you have to have the visual, which is why we have the dumpling room right outside of our restaurant so people can see what they're about to eat. And we have to create an environment where people are are, are uh, enjoying their time while they're there, which means the place has to be nice and clean and the right atmosphere. And I think, you know, while you're eating the great food that we provide, you know, you need to have the right drinks, whether it's a glass of white wine or a cocktail or beer, whatever your 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 choice is, um, to complement the great food and, and make it an experience versus a a cafeteria like in and right, out. Right, right, in and out. Yeah, quick, we quick. don't. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, Do you, what is the percentage of business for lunch versus dinner? Dinner definitely stronger, and weekends definitely stronger than the weekdays. But I would say we're probably. Oh, 70, 30. So dinner, yeah. 70%. I've actually t- done a few lunches there with clients yeah, when I'm coming you. over to Bellevue. Um, so I know that the it's called kind of like specializing in soup dumplings. Yep. I'm just super curious because when I come, I get everything. I get, I love the green <laughs> beans. I like just like a potpourri of like all your best. Yeah. And I would actually um, say that, um, you know, minus trying, I try not to eat pork, but um I would love to just say, hey, bring me your favorites yeah. and see kind of where that lands. And so what would you suggest if you were bringing people in that had never come in? You know, people always ask me, hey, David, what is your favorite dish? Yeah. And I always tell people it's, it's not just a one thing. I, think, I know. I think That's the you problem. Come, you can't just have When one. you come, our concept is so unique where you, it's a combination of three, four dishes together. You know, you have to have a little bit of rice with the, with the green beans, but then spicy wonton, the sauce yes. that goes on the rice. I'm getting hungry, David. You know, and then, the and then our, our pork, juicy pork dumpling is our signature Ugh. dish and, you know, a little bit of soy sauce and vinegar and ginger. So it, it really is the combination and, yeah. and, um, and the more people the better because then everyone's in you're, you're ordering the whole menu and oh yeah then you get to have little bites and exactly yeah so that, i think that's the unique experience that we offer is the family style aspect of eating yes and uh, a lot of cultures actually do that right so so i think that's why we we're, we're so popular by by all people because we we offer an experience that you know three four generations in the same family come yeah. through and and uh, we also get a lot of corporate businesses too. And, yeah. and uh, so I, I think that's part of the reason. And so um, which of the, specifically, which of the soup dumplings is most popular? It's the pork shallow. Like no, it's the pork, pork shallow bao. So it's a pork, oh, yeah. juicy pork dumpling. It's, uh, it's our famous. My mouth is watering just yeah, having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Me oh, too. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get, I'm sure you never get sick of it, but also, you know, I, you, I mean, so does I, the yoga keep you trim? I mean, it's not I, the I tell you, I, I tell you, 10 uh, by November of this year, it will be our 10-year anniversary. Yeah, I can't believe it. And after almost 10 years, I still eat my own food probably three, four, five times a week. I don't <laughs> get sick of it. Yeah, I don't well, you won't need it. to learn how to cook anytime soon. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I have, a, I have a few kitchens I can always ask them to make me food. Yeah, so it's been 10 years, yeah. um, and you've been growing, adding yes. um, every, it just seems like maybe like every couple of years, yeah. um, a new location. So we're, this conversation is pre-COVID, and then we yep. can get into COVID. So pre-COVID, sure. 
what was your growth strategy and your growth plans? So 10 years ago, without knowing how to run a business, certainly not knowing how to run a restaurant, um, I just wanted to open a successful restaurant and not lose any money, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, a little bit of background on that. I mean, it, you know, I came from a middle class and so I didn't have that much money, certainly not that much money to open a 7,200 square feet restaurant in Bellevue, right? Yeah. Well, and, and not all the build just Bellevue, out. but the most expensive real estate. Right, right. And, you know, going up against uh, Kemper Development Company and it's oh, not yeah. the most, it's not the, the cheapest rent in town for sure. No. So, so, you know, I just, you know, so what happened was I had to, I had to cash out my stock options. I had to cash out my 401k, any little savings I had, and I went all in, I was still short. Wow. So my mom ended up taking a, uh, literally mortgage her house. And, these and stories, said, I, I mean, and, I hear these said, a lot. And then she, I, and, and she's, I remember her, I, I hear her telling my sister and my sister's yeah. like, are you sure you want to do this? It's <laughs> kind of risky. And my mom says, you know, if I'm going to invest in stocks where companies have people, other people running the company, I might as well, I bet on my own son, I'm going to let my son run, you know, run my money, if you will, and invest in his company. So there was a lot of pressure, but yeah, um, I can't even imagine. Know, so my, my very first unit, I just wanted to make sure I don't lose anybody. And then we were we were literally um, a success from day one. I mean, I still remember that very first weekend when we opened um, four and a half hour wait. It was just incredible. So what went? Did anything go terribly wrong in that first year? Oh yeah, everything. You know, <laughs> we 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 didn't anticipate the 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 strong business to that level yeah. so you weren't prepared as far as like supply and demand like yeah, you don't have and enough I, food and I, and I food and people right people to make the food and people yeah. to take the customers and and I I was not a restaurant person nor was I a good business person yeah you know I and uh, so everything was uh, was was bad um, but luckily for us business is strong so as we all know you know running our own businesses sales solves a lot of problems, right? Yeah. So, so we, we had the sales. And uh, um, so the first, first one was just to not lose money. And then two years later, and I said, okay, well, we're, we're really busy. Every night at Bellevue, we're doing huge numbers. I, I think we can open one more. Let's try it on the Seattle side, on the other side of the water. So then that's when I met with Susie and Stuart over at U Village. Great people, great landlord. And we uh, were able to strike a deal with them and open a second location. And thinking that the the U Village location would draw some business away from Bellevue because Bellevue was just too busy. Um, it didn't turn out that way. Both restaurants were too busy, as it turned out. And we saw the demand. I said, okay, now we kind of know what we're doing. I can really build a a business out of this. Um, that was also when I joined YPO, and a lot of great people in YPO sort of um uh guiding me through all that thinking right yeah how did you learn uh, you, you started to say like i don't have a background in the restaurant business like to me that's huge to not have that background because there's so many details and moving parts and logistics and it's hourly workers it's a whole different mentality than salaried workers like yeah how did you learn did you so, have a mentor so i've been i've been very blessed to surround myself with great people i've been i've been blessed so you know, starting with my family, my mom, my sister, who just continued to give me the strength to, to fight through any hurdle I need to fight through. And then at the restaurant level, I have great people that 
that uh, many of them are still with me even today, 10 years later, right? Um, and without any of them, I mean, I just, I'm lucky because I'm the face of the company, but they right. do all the work. They, right. they should get all the credit. And but all but the how did you actually work. learn? Is there like a so restaurants we, for dummies? Like, how do you even so know we, the first thing? So, yeah. So we, we hired managers and, and I was actually learning from the managers that I hire. And, and, uh, you know, we had four or five managers and we learned from each of them and their background and, and sort of put together our own package, if you will. Mm. And, uh, um, and like I said, sales help with everything. So we yeah. had the sales and so we, w- we were able to afford to make mistakes here and there. And yeah, if you've got the revenue coming in, you can, right. yeah. you can kind and, of deal. And a lot of that really is the strength of the brand. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, until this day, we don't spend any money on advertising, marketing. I mean, if you go well, by. Well, it's so you, good. And I remember when it know, came. It's literally zero. And I think it's just the strength of the brand. So, you know, at that time, globally speaking, Bellevue was store number 56, I think. Today, I think they just recently opened up store number 160. Oh, my so goodness. In 10 years, they've they added another 110 stores globally. Um, so I think it's, it's, that's how they do the market. So how we do the marketing, right? Just by opening units and continue to provide the same experience for people mm-hmm. who travel. How many, uh, how many Ding Tai Fung's are in the U.S.? Um, there's five in Pacific Northwest and my business partner down in California has eight. So 13. Mm-hmm. And when you say business partner, is it an actual revenue share business partnership or just business? Is it a partnership? Yeah, so so down in LA, that's the family that that owns the, the Din Tai Fung brand. Ah. You know, his, his father was the founder. Okay, so he's my business partner. He actually is my equity partner here in the Pacific yeah. Northwest. Oh, uh, he's loving you. He's like, I hope so. That was a great decision for the family. I hope so. I think <laughs> you know it was it was risky for for him for sure, right? To well, because you're just guy. like, what if somebody just messes up the brand? Yeah. So he he bet on a guy who had no idea how to run a restaurant, no idea how to build a business. Um, I was. But persistent. everybody says the same thing about you. I've heard about you before meeting you from so many people who just, I don't know what other word to like in the Jewish culture we call it like a mensch. Like you're just a really good person, a really Thank good guy. You. And it's like in business when you're just starting there yeah. on like honor and like this person's going to do the right thing. Um, so for example, if something did get messed up that you would be the type to bring it to the family or, yeah. you know, just do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so pre COVID still yeah. in that zone, what has been the hardest thing or kind of the biggest lessons you've learned from being in the restaurant industry? Just the long hours, um, you know, coming from Intel, you know, you're dealing with um, essentially everybody at a salary type of yeah. level, um, many of them with multiple college degrees, um, yeah. master's degree, you know, doctorate degree, and all of a sudden you're dealing with a whole new generation of younger hourly staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go into the kitchen, you're dealing with a lot of non-English speaking staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, back in the Intel days, you give out an order, you know, you, you meet again in a week and it's executed and you don't really worry about it. Now, you know, you got to do a lot more babysitting. Right? Yeah. And, and, uh, it's, so that's probably the hardest adjustment. And, uh, and then, and then it's the, you know, I used to be pampered working at a big, big, big company where everything was done for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're a small business owner. You're trying to save every dollar you can. Um, so I still remember back in Intel days, um, 
I was working on my desk when somebody came and knocked on the door at my cubicle and said, um, I'm here to give you an ergonomic test. Make sure you don't oh. get carpet tunnel, if you have but the right Speaking size. of which, I'm sitting so poorly right now. Yeah. Like, and oh, then, yeah, and then now at the restaurant level, you know, our little office in the restaurant, you do everything yourself. You got to hook oh, up yeah. a printer. I mean, you got to, you know, back then it was everything done for you. Now you're... Oh, yeah. Even Payne Weber and, yeah, um, yeah, and Oppenheimer. That. You're exactly. just like, oh, I've got a runner and I've got yeah. a... Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm sure. You know, and I'm, so how have you, is there, is there, is, did the family set not just standards for the product, but standards for the culture? Are there, are there values like a typical company? If you just started this from scratch and said, I'm going to create what oh, I want. I, to, to, to tell you the truth, um, they didn't have much of that um, mm -hmm. because the, at the time there was only one small unit in the U.S. Mm. in uh, Southern California. And my business partner at the time was not thinking about expanding at all in the U.S. He was a family man, had two young kids that he just wanted to raise. Um, and so he had a, a much smaller unit um, and he was content. And uh, so when we agreed to open Bellevue, um, he didn't give me too much of that. He taught me how to make the food or at least our team and the recipe and all that. But as far as operating uh, service steps, um, business culture and the company culture. Um, I, we didn't get much of that from him. And so we had to um, figure that out on our own mm -hmm. and create something. And, and how uh, has that kind of grown or developed? Where, did, where is it today? It's, it's very difficult um, to build a culture, to maintain a culture, and to make sure that the culture is going the right direction. So it's something we talk about all the time, um, and, and I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't pay too much attention. So people always ask me, hey, I love to learn about how you build your business, and, and a lot of people don't talk about the HR aspect of the business mm -hmm. and the culture side of the business. Every business plan, if it's a 10-page business plan, 9 out of 10 pages are sales and marketing. How are they going to mm -hmm. promote? You know, it's all about Facebook, online advertising, all that. But then when you start asking them, well, who's going to do the accounting? Who's going to do the HR things? Who's going to do the culture? Who's going to – they don't really have mm -hmm. um, any answer to that because they, they don't think it, you know. But, but I do think that's actually – more important than the business itself oh it's huge and yeah. actually because i do a lot of recruiting in the tech space and it's yeah. at the forefront For of sure. the conversation and especially sure. in recruiting it's like I, if i'm going to sell the job or sell the opportunity i need to be able to sell the team the addressable market yep. the culture yeah. kind of not just the financials yeah. you know like you said it's not just let's look at all the numbers and, yeah and i didn't know that at the beginning and yeah. i had to learn that you know, as we went along. So most of the time when I talk to young entrepreneurs and people I mentor, um, that's the one thing I always bring up and say, hey, you yeah. know, I, I wish somebody told me that 10 years yeah. ago. Well, you're doing something right. You're doing something right. So sales help with all problems. But, yeah, and it uh, doesn't even sound like you've had a lot of turnover, that there's been anything that's We've been very fortunate. If you look at management you. level, uh, it, you know, we, we've retained most of the people. Yeah. And so, so moving to this crazy time, we talked about yeah. March, and I was supposed to be in Taiwan. Yeah. Um, you know, with COVID, your industry just got crushed, and I know that you've um, kind of been transitioning and you've stayed very focused on health and safety, kept managers, supervisors, um, everyone on payroll. Um, 
So now your locations are, I guess today is uh, August, what is it, 17th, but all your locations are open. Mm -hmm. um, but our state has said no more than five Correct. people that are yeah. in the same family at a table. Yeah, yeah. And so how has your business so, been impacted you know, and how have you pivoted? Yeah, since March 15th, um, which was day one, we, we've been through just like everybody else, right? We've been through a lot. Um, our primary focus was to make sure we kept the most important asset of our company, which is the people, particularly salary level, management level people. We invested so much in them that uh, it just didn't make any sense for us to cut them. And, and so, you know, to, to, to be fully transparent, we did have to cut quite a bit of hourly staff Right. Mm -hmm. um, well, you'd have to. There's literally no business. Correct. Yeah. But but in terms of proportionally speaking, in terms of how much revenue were down pre-COVID, post-COVID, or during COVID, um, we really should cut down some of the management level as well. But we made a decision not to. Mm -hmm. So so. Uh, um, well, hopefully you got some PPP money and yeah, we did, to... we did, and but now it's you know it's on our own now because it's over. Yeah, um, yeah. But and yeah, so we, you but... you partnered with Uber Eats and Grubhub, and now you're yeah, starting to do yeah, that because we, so we've gotten some of, delivery. It's in great. terms of pivot, you know, we had to quickly partner with all the delivery guys because that was really the way to get the food out, and mm -hmm. everyone was so used to ordering through the, through their phone. So we did that, and then. Once we were allowed to open 25% of seating capacity, it was all about investing in various PPE protection of course. stuff to yeah. make sure customers that would come would feel comfortable coming. Feel safe. So you got the masks yeah. and the gloves yeah. and the yeah. thermometer and, then, and the plexiglass. Yeah, and, yeah. And all of that stuff. And all of that costs a lot of money. Oh, right? yeah. Everyone Huge. wants the same thing. So the demand and the supply, so the price went up. and. So those are all additional costs. And now we're at a point where we're at 50%, but then everyone is working to see if we can get additional seating outside. So now- Oh, is there our, seating outside? So at University Village- um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they actually have, they shut down a street right in front of uh, Joey's, Molly Moon, Yeah, I know exactly where. That's right. perfect. Yeah, and so they gave us uh, something like 30 by 30 space. So we oh, had- that's great. Night tables, outdoor seating, but we had to go and buy the furniture, the umbrella and all that stuff. But we were able to generate- the income and and people you know in the summertime in seattle people love sitting outside anyway oh, of course i wish so, it stayed like this it feels more like new york to me like bellevue know, yeah, along yeah. main street i don't know if you've seen it in bellevue but along main street yeah maybe they could do this in bellevue too for you i think it's fantastic yeah so i think i think uh the city and and landlords are doing what they can to help business owners mm -hmm. like ourselves to create more opportunities but you know let's make no mistake about it i mean you know, when you're shut down by 50% because of COVID, you're, you're just not going to do the same type of numbers as pre-COVID, right? No, of and, course. Uh, so, so, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Restaurant industry, generally speaking, have thin margins. Mm -hmm. So when the top line comes down, you're squeezing your margins and it's yeah, super very, tough. very tough to, uh, to, to, to make a profit. So those are things that we have to balance, but you know, I'm no different than any other restaurant owners out there. Mm -hmm. Everyone is struggling. We're mm -hmm. just trying our best to, uh, to, 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 to make it through. And, and one of the ways that we do it is I just continue to tell my team, you know, stay true to who we are. That means the best service, the best 
quality food, you know, whatever we need to do to make sure we provide um, consumer confidence. Mm-hmm. But to make sure when they come through, they see that we take the whole PPE stuff seriously and we keep the environment safe for them to eat at our restaurant. Um, and if it's to go, we do the best we can to pack the food so that, you know, it still stays hot um, when they eat it at home and things. Like that's that. a very good point because that's one of the biggest problems. Your food is so good when it's like brand- hot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the tough part about our food. Yeah. It may not always travel that well. So, you know, I think uh, we we unfortunately the locations we're at plus our brand it's hard for us to pivot and be innovative you know i'll give you a good example if you look at canlis mm-hmm. they have definitely been very yeah you know you got the burger you got the crab uh, feast outdoor i mean but you know we're a dumpling restaurant i can't just start selling burgers that doesn't make any sense i don't have the outdoor parking capacity because the mall situation that i'm in so well, they let you do a uh food truck um yes and we looked into that um you know we had partnership with um seahawks and mariners mm-hmm. so they have been asking us for a couple of years now to do some type of food truck like because we're in the stadium but they yeah. also want perhaps ha- have us to be outside as well yeah so we've been looking into that um you know so so but those are kind of the things but i at the end of the day i tell my team we can be as innovative as we want but if we don't stay true to who we are and do a good job at our kind of our core competency which is quality of service quality of product then you're not going to get business my people are going to stop coming but if you yeah. do what, what we're supposed to do um then hopefully enough fans will continue to order from us or at least come in and dine with us and we can get through this whether it's six to 12 months from now we can slowly get through it and then hopefully once we get through it then then everything's back and we're off to the races yeah Yeah, off to the races well i have i have all the faith in the world in you um i know that you said that you um have been doing yoga or trying to meditate and just adding in this element yeah. What else do you do right now? Maybe some tips that anyone can take them. We're all trying to help each other um, to set yourself up for you know a good week, a good day, productive, um, kind of I, staying, staying positive in your mind. Yeah, I, I would say be kind. Be kind to people around you. Be kind to your staff. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is stressed. Everybody's stressed. I no, know it's, it's bringing it's, out, it's, and it's, it's creating almost like social right uh, divides i think the difference between this versus back in 2009 2010 it's that not only are you concerned that the business is not good there's the other piece of it which is the most important piece and that's the health aspect of it mm-hmm. right back in 2009 2010 you know your sales are down but you're not worried about going out and get sick. No, you're like, I'll just go on a trip. Right, you just go on a trip, go on a vacation, regroup, come back and work harder. But now you can't really do that. And you Mm -hmm. can't, I think us human beings, we need to be social and we Mm -hmm. feed off of each other's energy and we give each other high fives and hugs and things. And now the best we can do is a Zoom meeting, right? So I think the energy is, is very important. And I have been trying my best to, be kind with people around me, particularly my staff who are going through a lot. Now, keep in mind, restaurant industry is not one where you can work from home. Oh, right? I know. They're on the front you know? lines yeah, every single day. They're on the front day. line. You know, if you want to make your money, you got to show up. You got to right? show up, yeah. So whether you're hourly, whether you're management, you're going to work. And every day going to work, you are taking some type of risk of getting COVID. Yes. 
So yes. the stress level is inevitable and the customer- And the weight, the weight of that just on your shoulders as somebody who right. cares about their staff, you're like, God yeah. forbid somebody and gets- then, And then customers are short-tempered because they yeah. have stress. So when they come through, totally. normally they'd be okay with us not filling with the water as fast, but now everyone's cranky, right? So but they're like, if I like put myself in the position to come to a restaurant, I am coming yeah. so that I don't have to yeah. do- so yeah, I try my best to still exercise and I do yoga at home. I, I go out to the, to the school and run some, run the track a little bit, get some fresh air. I try to yeah. hack around with some friends on the golf course just to clear my mind. Yeah. Um, I think that's important, but you know, what I would tell people and I tell my staff is just be nice, be kind to your be staff. Kind. Yeah. It's like all the things we learned in kindergarten, you like know, across, across yeah, the world, it. like yeah. everybody just be kind, take a deep it. breath. So it. my ultimate, my ultimate question I ask everyone yeah. is what fuels you? Oh, it's the people. It's a tough one, right? No, it's, it's easy for me. It's the people, you know, yeah. I'll, you know, we start with my mom, my sister, my family, but I love the people I work with. Yeah. And, and my business partner, I mean, and just my personal friends, since I've known since college, it's, it's really the people. Yeah. You know, I, I just want to take good care of everyone. I want to make everyone proud. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's an easy one. You know, I, yeah. I do well, people around me do well, and, and I want to do well for them and with them. And, you know, I've been blessed to have this great opportunity, life-changing opportunity, and it's all because the people around me. Yeah, right. well, so, you deserve so, it. And I think they'd say the me, same that's thing. A, that's an easy question. That's an easy one. That's an easy oh, one. Oh, good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's so good to see you. And Absolutely. I want to get to know you better. I just, I really am sending you um, so many good wishes for continued success. You deserve it. Thank and you. I can't wait to come to the restaurant. We actually, maybe I'll come like tonight. I've got the girls. My husband's out of town. Come on Let's over. Let me, Let me know. Let me know. Let me know. Thank you so for much. For sure. Good to see you, David. Take Absolutely. care. Absolutely. Thanks okay. for inviting me. Of course. Bye. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.